Hello and welcome to Conversations Worth Millions, the podcast all about the business of conversational AI. We talk with the leading experts in voice, chat, messaging and emerging technology about the strategies and practical applications for business. In this episode, I talked to a really interesting guest, Brielle Nikoloff from Botmok. Now, Brielle has such a good understanding of conversation design, being a linguist, and has a background in medicine, which gives her a really unique viewpoint. We talk about design thinking, creating better design experiences, and why flow is a dirty word in conversational circles. She also answers the question, how do you create a conversation worth millions? This is a must listen. Stay tuned and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Conversations Worth Millions. Today I have fascinating guest Brielle Nikoloff from Botmok, who is a linguist, product manager and conversation expert. Is that about right, Brielle? It is. Thanks for the introduction, Roy, and thanks for having me today. I'm pleased I got that one right. Okay, first question I'd really like to know is how did you get into conversational AI? Great question. So I, in college, studied to be a doctor and realized very late uh, as a senior that really wasn't what I wanted to do. There were a few reasons for that. I had a family that was very focused on, you know, science, math, having a career that you could support yourself with. And so even though I was studying linguistics as one of my majors, uh, and, and it's what I really loved to wrap my head around, um, I kind of ignored my desire to do anything further with it. And as a senior year, I wrote basically my thesis about why we respond emotionally different to voice assistants like Siri. And at the time, really the most prevalent data source was people taking videos of like their parents who were yelling at GPS systems in the car, like, why are you going left? Why are you going like that kind of thing? So it clicked for me that there are people out there creating these experiences and why can't I do that? Maybe I can learn how to code and figure out how all that works. As long as I can sort of be involved with this, I'll try to become as technical as I can. I'll learn how to code in Python. I'll learn how to do this and that. And finally, after talking to a lot of people in the industry, I realized that I didn't even have to do that. There's something called conversation design and it's a totally different approach. We need all sorts of this spectrum of people working on these experiences from product people, marketers, designers, uh, you know, researchers, and it sort of opened up this whole space. And what I really wanted to do then was, I wish I could have gone back and told my college self that this is a thing, you know, like you can prepare for this and study for it. So a lot of what I do now is trying to reach out to anyone who is in a field right now that I, I, I talk to a lot of graphic designers who aren't necessarily so keen on the visual and they've always been more language focused. So this is perfect for them and trying to talk to students about the opportunities in this field. I just realized I'm one of those parents. I have <laughs> shouted at my GPS and my young kids are literally horrified mm. by it. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating actually. So what we're seeing from our side is the same thing, you know, maybe going back a couple of years, being quite dev heavy within the conversation space, that's definitely broadened out now, hasn't it? In relation to different skill sets coming into the, into the space. Absolutely. We really need to not build up walls between all of us. We shouldn't be drawing lines saying, hey, you're a dev, I'm a designer. If everybody has sort of an understanding of what we all do, that is the best for everyone. But we really need tools nowadays that actually empower somebody who thinks like a designer to create conversational experiences in the way that their own brain works. And I guess to sort of 
draw an analogy to like the right brain and the left brain. We have all these tools that have democratized the building of conversational experiences, whether voice on Alexa or Google Assistant or chatbots. And they're very technical tools. They're not that technical. Like they, they have a visual UI and you can sort of plug in this and type out this, but it's still not the way that designers necessarily want to be creating. It's a different way of thinking. So we're seeing something really interesting emerge, which is a landscape of tooling for conversation design that again is very different from graphic design tooling. You need a whole different paradigm to be creative within and, and build a, a flow or flow is kind of a dirty word <laughs> in conversation design because, you know, conversations don't really work like that. But we need some sort of way to empower the design side of thinking when, when building these. All right. So do you think we're in the middle of a conversation age? Oh, I think we're definitely in the beginning. I think we're just starting to understand what kinds of experiences are good and what kinds of people are good to be creating those. We need people from the humanities. We need screenplay writers. We need creative writers. We need linguists. All of those skill sets bring such a unique perspective to designing a conversation and being able to work with all the other components of a team. Basically, every team right now kind of hacks together their tools. They use Word docs and they use Excel sheets and they might use Lucid charts to visualize the flow. But really what I'm doing right now at Botmock is trying to talk to these people on teams, all kinds of people, because ultimately at the end of the day, if if the developer handoff, if that's kind of the bottleneck, then you need that to be working well too. So basically day in and day out, I'm trying to figure out <laughs> for our tool at Botmock, how can we empower a designer and a developer at the same time and then bring in anyone else that they're working with to have this central set of artifacts that they can all contribute to collaboratively. Great. So tell me a bit more about Botmock then. Right. So Botmock is a design prototyping tool that teams can use to create flows and export those flows onto various platforms. So Facebook Messenger, Slack bots, Alexa and Google Assistant. So we do voice and chat and we have the product to a point where it's working well for basically all of our customers. Our customers tell us, you know, this is solving exactly what we needed to solve, but I want to take a step back and say the alternative is really nothing at this point. So how can we continue to actually make it better? Um, if your alternative is using a couple different things, just have some sort of workflow within docs and sheets and, and flow charting tools. If that's the alternative and that is, it's such a headache. Teams are coming to us and saying like, we need some way to actually scale this. Cause at this point it's not working. Our flow is too big. We have too many people coming in and, it's just not going to work anymore. So if that's the alternative and the alternative is like horrible, then we want to, you know, we want to set the bar actually way, way, way higher than that. So I think we're solving people's problems right now where the tool is. And, and that's a great feeling, but there's so much more to do. And that's really what is exciting right now, I think, in this space. What's a typical use case? Are you focused more on independent teams? Are teams working within client groups, or with agencies? What's the kind of split of the people you work with on a day-to-day basis? I would say there's a variety. Two main ones would be agencies like yourself who are building experiences for um, their own clients and they need some sort of tooling to make it more efficient, uh, whether it's a chatbot or a voice bot. And then there are 
enterprise companies like retailers or anyone else who has maybe an IVR system and they don't have an internal tool or they do have an internal tool, but obviously internal tools don't progress as quickly or the, the UX kind of can stunt the actual progression of whatever product they're trying to launch. So kind of a, a mix. And what we're finding is that people, whatever they've been sort of using in the past is they're kind of just growing out of it because the teams are finally growing and, and we are, as an industry, finally defining this role of conversation designer. Whereas before that was just somebody maybe from marketing we're seeing or maybe from like the UX team who stepped up and said, hey, we need a chatbot. And they were like, cool, go build the chatbot. <laughs> and they're like, okay, cool. This seems like pretty self-explanatory. And then as they get into it, they're like, okay, this is a whole design discipline. Like, let's, let's actually figure this out the right way, you know? We've seen exactly the same thing. It does seem from the outside that it's a simple flow and so on. And when you get into it, it really isn't, it isn't that at all. So what's the biggest challenge then with your clients? What are, what are they struggling with? Is it selling in the idea of conversational AI to the C-suite or is it the technical implementation integrations? Where's the, where's the difficulty, the pain point? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that everybody who has at least been interested in launching some kind of conversational experience and doing their research for a while is fairly well aware of the different platforms they can use. And and that technical side has was really where this field began, uh, as you and I were sort of discussing earlier. So from my perspective, we are really taking a step back and saying, A, what kinds of people should we be hiring on these teams? And B, how can we, you know, enable them to actually work together and, and get what they need done? It's so interesting. I mean, teams will come to us and even if they think that they need a tool like BotMock, they'll still say, can you provide us with like consulting expertise about best practices for conversation design? And can you like, can you just build it for us? You know, like we've even had people say that to us. <laughs> they, it's, it's such a, um, a fascinating time right now in, in the industry where there are so many different levels of awareness of how deep somebody can get into building a usable experience. And so we're sort of dealing with all kinds of people. And yeah, finally, I think it's taken quite a while for people to self-identify even on LinkedIn as like a conversation designer or a voice user interface designer. And, and that's been a huge challenge, I think, for recruiters, for hiring managers to kind of recruit the type of people that would be good for building these sorts of things. Because off the top of your head, you're like, I need to hire somebody technical to build something like this, right? And and we all know what happens when when uh, when devs are the only ones building them. We we need a team of people with all kinds of different past experience. So so yeah, I think the field is actually gaining momentum really quickly. Like even just knowing that if you are going to build a team out, like at least having an awareness of there are people out there that have backgrounds in language and communications that would be a good fit for this role. That is finally sort of coming out into the open and slightly more, you know, visible, if you will. Apologies to any devs listening. When I think of technical first without emotion, I kind of think of uh, Microsoft Tay and more recently Blender. And mm. um, the, the slight issues with, with the responses that can come in with when the inputs are not what you're expecting. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, and how do you create a great conversation? 
That is the golden question. As you mentioned, when nobody is considering the real implications of a user's experience, then things, not only do they not create like a good user experience, but things can go south like very, very quickly, right? And that's partially because language is such a political thing and it's such a, a personal, emotional thing for humans. Actually, I was listening recently to Deborah Harrison on a podcast who was mentioning at Microsoft, they, when they were originally sort of writing some of the, the content for Cortana, they were like, how do we deal with if somebody tells us they're gay? Like, do we, you have to be, do you, do you want to be, you know, empathetic? Do you want to sort of, it's, it's not like something, you know, that you might need to handle super delicately per se. And if, and if you do handle it delicately, then what is that implying as well? (laughs) Like, what are your own views? What is like Microsoft's view on that? So it's such a, it's such a complicated thing when you're actually really considering the implications of language in different contexts. And what creates a good conversation is an earnest attempt by an entire team to at least put in the time and do the research about what you can lean on to build a conversation, which includes things like a persona, good error handling, and and all those fun things that we all talk about in voice. But ultimately, like, there, there really is no, like, golden formula. And that's because language, just in and of itself, is highly contextual. Like, the way that you and I are speaking right now is completely different than maybe the way you and I would speak if we were, you know, at a conference in person. And um, and part of that is because we're on a podcast right now. So our the, the way that we're receiving things and speaking about things is a performance in a way. And that just changes the language naturally. So, so everything is context-based. And there's no, like, heuristic that we can write to say, okay, if you're building a bot for this, go ahead and do this. Because even if you've got, you know, 10 real estate agencies that all want to build a chat bot each of those agencies has a different brand they may want to deliver different things via their chat bot and their chat bot in and of itself is half you know it has to be created from scratch every time if you meet me in real life you're very disappointed this is as about as professional as i get so um, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite disappointing in real life okay so what about the key question of ROI. How do you sell in that conversation, voice, chat, etc. is a worthwhile enterprise? Great question. Again, these are all great questions. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would say that I spent kind of my previous quote-unquote past life really trying to sell people on the idea of voice and why voice is what needs to really be in uh, top of mind, invested in right now. And, and now that I deal on a day-to-day basis with everything, including IVR, chat, and voice, thinking holistically about text, voice, and IVR systems is really important right now because a lot of people who are conversation enthusiasts are saying, you know, we, we need to turn everything into a conversation. Like, uh, you know, let's try to do this and this and this in a bot form. And maybe that's not the best approach sometimes. I mean, I know it's definitely not the best approach sometimes. So 
even just starting from square one of saying like, okay, we, we want a customer to be able to do something. What actually is the best way for them to do this? Is it on our website, just pressing a few buttons? Is it completing a form? Is it having a conversation with a bot? Is it talking to a bot? And that's just, you know, a subset of the different options. Um, you've also got mobile and other ways for customers to engage with a brand. If, if we take a step back and just consider like all the different possibilities and ways and reasons that customers may engage with a brand, if we put a lot of thought into that, we'll be able to actually deliver the best experience for the best context. And sometimes you, you want to complete everything on a screen and not talk to anything. And some use cases for some users, you may want to complete everything with voice in and audio out. I think what we're sort of all converging to as an industry is this realization that just because you have a hammer doesn't mean you should be like hitting all the nails with it. Like it's best to kind of look at the whole toolbox and decide whether we need like instead of a, a hammer, maybe we need like the mallet for this one, you know, and maybe the mallet is the chatbot and the hammer was a voice experience. It's more about fitting the experience to the context than trying to like squeeze the context into the, the actual like UI that we can build for, if that makes sense. I love the mallet and hammer analogy. I'm using that. <laughs> for outside of Botmark or, or things you tend to work with with clients and so on, what's your favorite or most useful voice experience? You know, the other day I came across a designer, Merrick, and he, he's actually out of the UK. He had this experience on his portfolio online that helped you find a hotel and it was an action. So it was all voice. And I was like, okay, let's, let's check this out because in general, a lot of kind of what voice designers have used in the past of like, don't try to tackle this use case is like a booking <laughs> sort of thing, like booking a train or you know, a, a flight or a hotel or something. So I was just curious about how he sort of approached it. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, A, it was beautifully designed. So I would recommend anyone listening. Um, I don't actually know what it's called, but I do know if you check out Merrick's website, it is on there. Basically during the experience, we came to a point where the assistant had to give me a few options back. Hmm. And a, that is in and of itself a design decision of how many do you want to surface because um, it's really difficult for us to keep track of more than two or three options when we're hearing it versus sure. seeing it. But then Merrick had actually anticipated that this step would have like a huge lag and have to pull a lot of different data from somewhere. So to handle this, he actually said, or like the assistant said, while I'm, while I'm pulling this for you, how are you doing? Or like, he, he kind of just started a little mini chat. And, right. and, and as soon as the data was ready, he just pulled the like main topic back in and said, hey, I've got your hotels. Here are the best two options or something. So to me, that was just like a totally ingenious and kind of shows like why, how there's so much room for innovation just within the conversational design space and, and how like solving problems from a very, all kinds of different methods and forms of creativity is going to further this field just in, in an amazing way. But yeah, I think that's one of my favorite voice features that I've ever come across. 
sounds great I'll, I'll definitely check it out and add it to the show notes so brielle i've got to ask you are robots going to take all our jobs <laughs> are robots yeah i've been thinking about this bit what i hope is that robots can take over the jobs that humans don't really want to do in the first place. And that can open up space for kind of these more creative roles, kind of like what I just described. And I know that this, uh, this topic is a lot more complicated than that, but on some level, I think this is happening. So yeah, I don't know. If robots <laughs> take over jobs, I'm down for them to take over like the, the boring ones, you know, like nobody wants to do data entry or any of that kind of stuff. But it's going to take a lot of humans to sort of run those systems that are taking over those types of tasks anyway. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm not sure I feel much happier after that answer, but thank you. <laughs> so where did you get your inspiration from? I actually draw a lot of my energy and inspiration from constantly switching up my environment. We, you and I were talking about this a bit before the show, but I don't have like a home base. I travel full time and have kind of built my workflow and my life around that. And I guess I just want to mention it because it's becoming really relevant right now during COVID. And I've always kind of fought for this ability to work remotely and prove to an employer that, you know, whatever I do here is going to be the exact same as in an office, if not better. I personally believe better because I can kind of switch up my reality and draw new inspiration from wherever I am. But, but yeah, yeah, I think that working from home is this like bucket term and and flexible working is really the direction that hopefully we're all going and and hopefully we can all kind of come to this same conclusion that allowing people to work in the environment that really does work the best for them whether it is at home and you're there at 3 p.m when your kid arrives or you're you know in Bali working you know as long as you have wi-fi and you are productive i think that we should be allowing people to work where it works best for them and that's personally where i find a lot of my consistent like desire to just be at it every single day is is knowing that i'm in somewhere new and always planning kind of the next thing too Bali sounds nice by the way <laughs> yeah right yeah it's it's been freezing here in oregon and i don't know why but Come on, it's already like June. Shouldn't it be at least 60s or something, you know? I don't know, Bali does sound good. You haven't spent enough time in London. Um, okay, so <laughs> for someone coming into the conversational space, what would be your advice to them? My advice to anyone coming into the conversational space is, A, this field is so new and the community is so small still that people are really open to actually talking to you about what they do. So. That would be my number one recommendation is reach out to people, talk to them, ask them questions, figure out, you know, ask questions like what is your actual day to day and like what, who do you work with on a daily basis? That will give you a lot more insight into what these roles actually entail. Number two would be really start creating if you can. If you are interested in becoming a designer or a developer or a product type role in, in this field, start creating and documenting your ideas in a way that can get your idea across to somebody. And there are, you know, platforms like Alexa and Google Assistant are totally open and free for anyone to build on. And tools like Botmock and others are now free to use to prototype and build flows. And 
And I will like kind of end that with, I personally felt totally blocked by needing to like, thinking that I had to get technical to actually create an experience like this. And if I am looking to hire a conversation designer, it's a great plus if it's like out there on Google Assistant and I can actually interact with it. But it's basically just as relevant for me if I can see some kind of artifact that you have created and some sort of process you've documented, talking about your workflow, talking about we came to this uh, prompt and, and realized like it was kind of throwing users off. So we decided to tweak the wording and use this one instead. Like those kinds of process documents, those kinds of like case studies and, and reflections of your own thought process are much more important to me than the fact that you've launched something real out there in the world. So yeah, I think those would be my two main pieces of advice. So what's next on the roadmap for Botmock? So for Botmock, um, our team truly is completely invested. Like we think day and night about how we can really change the tooling landscape and, and really listen to designers and who designers are working with. You know, if we have to start from scratch, we're super down. Like we, we just want to be able to make something that really does work for people. And up to this point, that has been a tool that works well for designers or sorry, sorry, developers. (laughs) Um, But and it, and it took a while in the graphic design industry to create tooling for designers. Sure. Um, so we're sort of starting there. And, and we just want to listen to the problems designers are facing right now. We want to try different things out. We want to iterate. And, and that is going to be a long road that hopefully will never end. We always want to be making it better for people. But yeah, I think the tool is, is at this kind of, amazing starting point where it has the functionality that it needs but now we're going to back up and say hey designers like what is your ideal tool will this work for you will that work for you and and what can we do to make your lives super easy and and make you the most creative that you actually want to be can you sum up conversational ai in a sentence Conversational AI is one of the last pieces of the puzzle of making truly accessible interfaces for anybody to be able to communicate with a computer. Nice. Conversation everywhere. I have a final question for you that we ask all our guests. How do you create a conversation worth millions? How do you create a conversation worth millions? You do this by creating and then iterating and then asking, figuring out what your users are doing, seeing what's going wrong, and then doing the whole process over again. That is, in my opinion, the only way to build conversations that really have a huge impact and will make a difference in the lives of your audience or your users or your customers. Fantastic. Thanks, Brielle, for joining us on the show. It's been brilliant. Thanks for being so open and answering all the difficult questions. Thank you, Roy. I had a lot of fun and I think this was a conversation worth millions. So thanks for having me on. You're good. You're really good. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This has been the Conversations Worth Millions podcast from Synthetic Agency. For more information about conversational AI, design, emerging technology, head over to syntheticagency.co.